Welcome to the February 11th, 2021 meeting of the Science Fiction Club for all you out there. Uh, we have a good turnout, I think. Um, to um, keep with tradition, you want to keep with tradition, Roger? Sure. You want to keep with tradition, okay. Roger? Okay. All right, Roger, sorry, he's just got in traditionally because he's not sure how long his connection will hold up sometimes. And, yeah. So well, okay. This time, I will bring you "Time Gladiator" by Mike <laughs> Reynolds. And a word about the author first: a couple of months ago, I brought you um, "Chaos in Lagrangia," also by Mike Reynolds. And at that time, I said that if anyone who knew me saw what the um, the the Goodreads information about the author said they would swear that's why I picked him but actually before that I had not read Mike Reynolds since I was a teenager and I didn't remember anything about any stories I read by him but it turns out that he was an activist for the Socialist Labor Party and I have a strong interest in socialism so that would have attracted me to him but I didn't know until I read that um, about the author on Goodreads. This time, I did pick out a book by Mike Reynolds because of that. And um, I don't know why I didn't remember anything about any of the stories that I read by him when I was a teenager. But obviously, he does write political science fiction. And for this one, one of the um, reviewers on Goodreads said that Mike Reynolds writes political and economic science fiction. He didn't seem to think that was an especially good thing, but then he adds, what do you expect from somebody who grew up calling all of his friends comrade? Um, as for this one, Time Gladiator, the title implied to me that it had something to do with time travel. It does not. I don't know where that title came from, but it does have something to do with gladiators. I suppose you would call this book a dystopian because <clears throat> it takes place in a future society, at least future to the time it was written. It was originally published in 1966, and it takes place in the 21st century. Uh, that's where we are right now, isn't it? but at least we're not quite um, through the majority of the 21st century yet. In any case, there seems to have been a war. I think it was a nuclear war. And that made everybody, it was such a devastating war that everybody is afraid of having another war. So they've set up a system to prevent wars. They have revived the world court I suppose it must have gone extinct at some time, but this time the world court actually has significant powers. And when two countries get mad at each other, the world court steps in and their remedy is usually to have each country offer up a champion who we will battle each other, gladiator style, and whoever loses well, the gladiator, of course, gets killed, but the country 
who put up that gladiator as their champion will have to submit to the other country. Now, I'm going to say this idea has been around for a long time. And even though I have not read the Hunger Games, I, as I understand the Hunger, Hunger Games, they are, the premise is pretty much the same there. And it was actually practiced in ancient times. That's what the David and Goliath story is all about, by the way. But it never has worked. It doesn't work, and I don't think it ever will work, because the trouble is, this pitting two champions against each other who battle to the death does absolutely nothing to address the issues that are at contention here. So whoever wins, the other side is going to feel that they've had a grave injustice perpetrated on each other, and they will still want to overturn the result. But in any case, in this future world, there are far fewer countries to contend with each other. Uh, the United States, Canada, and I don't know, other big parts of the world have um, merged into something called West World. The Soviet Union and Eastern Europe have merged into something called Sov World, S-O-V World. Uh, the European Union seems to be there, and it's not called the Uni European Union. I forget the word they use. It was C-something Europe, Confederated Europe? Maybe, I don't remember. But um, <clears throat> Western Europe has become one country, and other parts of the world like South Asia, Africa, and such, uh, they've done some merging too, but they really don't figure into the story. And <clears throat> in Westworld, at least, a caste system has developed. Um, they divide society into, the, into about nine castes, the lower lowers, the middle lowers, the upper lowers, the lower middles, middle middles, um, upper middles, lower uppers, uh, middle uppers and the upper uppers. The <clears throat> um, there is very little movement between castes. And by the way, the higher up in caste you go, the fewer people are included. Um, with the upper uppers, they are the absolute ruling class, very super rich, and they are very few in numbers, while the biggest caste of all is the lower lowers who are uneducated, unemployed, and live in absolute misery. But there is one way to move up in caste, at least somewhat, and that is to become a gladiator and to choose which gladiators is going to be the champion. They have trials. They set them to fight each other. And yes, it is a fight to the death. And um, if a gladiator survives and survives one fight after another, he tends to move up a bit in caste, mainly because he gets lots and lots of money until it gets to, to the point where they have about nine possible champions 
who do not fight each other, but the nine champions are saved to fight the enemy if a would-be war should come along. Now, that's in Westworld. In Sobworld, they have a caste system themselves, um, a different kind of caste system. Um, the, uh, this is obviously a, a, if this goes on, example of the Soviet Union's system where, well, the highest caste are called party members, of course. In any case, um, the story centers around one character who is a gladiator, and he has survived to become one of the nine champions in Westworld. And by the way, if you know anything about the ancient Roman gladiators, they were slaves, and they were being forced to fight each other for the entertainment of the Romans. And these gladiators are pretty much the same. Like I said, they usually come from the lower, lower class caste or the lower middle caste or whatever. The, the main character, though, happens, I think he was in upper middle, and he is, he actually had a fascination that, well, let's put it this way. He was an archaeologist. He was an archaeologist, and he studied ancient weapons and ancient fighting techniques, and therefore he became kind of an expert in ancient fighting techniques and weapons. And by the way, that's what these gladiators use to fight each other are ancient weapons like swords and tridents and stuff like that. And since he became an expert in it, he thought he would be a good gladiator. And they pointed out that he was actually, you know, he was a professor of archaeologist and he was also actually the first gladiator they had who had more than a third grade education. But, um, but since he doesn't have much room to rise in caste anyway, he doesn't really rise in caste by becoming one of the nine champions. But since these gladiators are essentially kind of like slaves, if not necessarily slaves, actually, um, they are lower caste and so on. It seems that there is an underground revolutionary organization who is trying to recruit the gladiators. And amazingly enough, the one who actually gets recruited is the archaeologist. And it turns out that this is an international revolutionary organization. They have members from Saab world and the European world and all of that. And they end up conspiring to overthrow the entire caste system and to work for a one world society and to do away with governments and all of that. And um, at that point, I can say, yes, I see very clearly that Mike Reynolds was promoting the politics of the Socialist, Socialist Labor Party. So obviously, Mike Reynolds was in the business of writing science fiction to promote the Socialist Labor Party. So by the end of the book, they don't quite manage to overthrow everything quite yet, but they're 
working on it, and that's pretty much the gist of it. I hope it sounds like something you'd like. It sounds like there might have been a sequel, or there could have been a sequel. Maybe, but I don't know of it. But uh -huh. I, I will say pretty much it turns out that all of Mike Reynolds' stories are political science fiction. See, I first encountered him in uh, the old Galaxy magazine in the 60s. Of course, then the, the magazines were on reel-to-reel -reel tape and, you know, maybe you'd get an issue and maybe you'd get the next issue and maybe you wouldn't. But periodically, I did remember seeing him, oh, I guess when I was, you know, maybe in my teens, 14, 15, then I, the magazine stopped for me for whatever reason. Um, but that's where I remember him from. And I did see him... In 75, he wrote a, a short story in uh, Galaxy magazine. That was the last I had heard of him. So I kind of figured he had died. And I didn't realize he was... Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure he's dead now. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize he had done, uh, you know, political science fiction. Please. By the way, his father was uh, Vern Reynolds. And his father was the... SLP candidate for president in, I think, about um, late 20s and early 30s. He was presidential candidate twice. Hmm. Yeah, time gladiator, but nothing about time travel. Now, this was on Bookshare, I take it, Roger, because you seem to... Uh, yeah, this was Bookshare. Yeah. Okay. I, you, what I have been doing lately is, pick, well, first of all, I kind of tried to pick out a book that I doubt that the rest of you have read. And lately, in order to clean up some of these fair and good conditioned books, I've been um, downloading those and reading them and then making a quality report. Mm. Um, I can do that by going to the advanced search and just searching for fair and good quality books. This time... I was using my uh, Victor Reader to search, and that doesn't tell me the quality. No, you don't get. And, yeah, and when yeah. I pick when I picked out something by Mac Reynolds, I just assumed that it was probably good or fair. But I downloaded it, and then I went to um, Bookshare to look up the exact edition I was getting, so I could add it to my bookshelves on Goodreads. And it turns out that it is a publisher quality book. And oh. this particular imprint that I forgot what it is now, uh, they describe themselves as, uh, well, they exist pretty much to bring back into print old out of print science fiction. That's the oh. SF gate. That's the SF gate. Uh, oh. yeah. yeah. I think that might've been it. Yeah. They okay. tell you to go to the SF gate. Uh, and they, they, yeah, they, they have this intro into all of their books. I've had, I can't quite bring a title, but I've seen some of these. Uh, well, before. this is a title for you. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I mean, yeah. I, I've seen some of them that I've downloaded. I've yeah, so I accidentally got a publisher's quality book this time. Wow, okay. It's in excellent condition rather than good or fair, which is what I thought I was going to get. Yeah, I think they did some of the Olaf Stapledon books from the 30s and uh, mm. 40s for uh, this this 
republication to, to uh, you know, to bring back some of the older classics into new digital editions and so on. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, what do you think, uh, Jim? You don't have, you haven't been here that much, so maybe. Uh, yeah. I, had a fe- I had a feeling SF you were going to pick me sfgate.com yeah one of the olaf stapleton titles i have here is from there okay the the only book i have to talk about is um one that's on bookshare and i was just browsing one night with a victor reader stream and i came across this one uh it's called three by heinlein Mm -hmm. and it has the puppet masters and double star and the door into summer. Um, and the, I would guess the door, I don't know whether the uh, door into summer is considered as one of his juveniles or not. I don't think so. Uh, Puppet Masters, I think, was written in 51. Double Star was written in 55 or 56. And I think. The Door into Summer was written in 56 or 57 thereabouts. That's when it came out. But uh, that's the only thing I read uh, this month. Interesting, going from uh, Mac Reynolds to Heinlein, who were politically quite far apart. (laughs) Let me say this. When I was in junior high school, the school library had a shelf that was practically dedicated to Heinlein juveniles. Wow. And the door into summer was included in those. So I assumed that it was a juvenile, except um, for a book published in the 1950s, which was intended to be a juvenile. There is reason to doubt that because one thing that they kept completely out of juvenile fiction during that time was anything having to do with sex. Right, that's true. There is no explicit description of sex in this. There sure are a lot of allusions to it. Yeah. But it was in my junior high school library along with the other Heinlein juveniles. Mm -hmm. Well, did you like this? All three? Yeah, Jim. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd I'd recommend them highly, sure. Um, you know, they're entertaining and, and uh, you know, if not for historical significance, they're, they're books that I had read years and years ago and, uh, you know, just, oh yeah, I want to, I saw them there and I, yeah, I want to grab these. So I grabbed the book. Um, and they are on Bard, although, uh, Double Star is, uh, in a compilation of books. I forget, there's four other books in there by Damon Knight, and I forget who else. But uh, that's where it What was that about? That was about a down-and-out actor who gets shanghaied, if you will, into portraying the uh, uh, prime minister, or person who's going to become prime minister uh, for the government. And he has to become the, the prime minister because... The guy that was the prime minister got kidnapped and beaten up pretty bad, and he ends up dying at the end of the book. And this guy, um, he, uh, Lorenzo Smythe, 
um, takes the prime minister's place. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Um. Well, we have Sherry. Do you want to go next or last? I don't care. I'm or next well. to last. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I read The Secret of Life by Paul McCauley. Oh. Um, it's about, it. you did read it? I've heard of it, but I don't. Oh, okay. I haven't read that. I've read other some of his other novels, mm -hmm. but I haven't read that one. It's about, um, the Chinese have gone to Mars and they found some kind of microorganism. They bring a sample back to Earth and this American corporation steals it and the plane that is carrying it gets shot down over the Pacific and of course it starts this huge slick in the Pacific that's mm -hmm. killing everything. So the Chinese are going back to Mars to try to get more of it I guess and the Americans of course want to send a team up to do the same and there's a big um, rivalry between NASA and this company Cytex. Our heroine in the book is Mariella and She's a biologist. She gets choose, chosen to go, and one of her nemesis, well, her nemesis, Penn, is also going. He's from Cytex. She does something really, really stupid and compromises security, and so Cytex kind of blackmails her into agreeing with however mm -hmm. Penn wants to run this stuff. So uh, lots of stuff happens on Mars, but she ends up with an organism back on Earth, and she's... Mm -hmm. For some reason, she doesn't want to share it with NASA either. She doesn't like NASA much more than she likes Cytex. She keeps saying how it's the science is what's important and they need to study the science. And there is a lot of biology in here. There's a lot of extraneous stuff too. I mean, when she comes back to Earth, she ends up with some Mexican revolutionaries and she ends up with some green groups and even some shakers who are still hanging around and how can they still be alive <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah exactly uh, they didn't go into that which i thought would have been more interesting than some of the stuff they did go into um i can't say I, I i mean i finished the book and it doesn't really resolve a lot of stuff at the end mm. but if there's a sequel i'm not really that interested in it no. there's just a lot of extra stuff that isn't that important to the book that's not that interesting and the biology some of it was interesting and some of it was over my head and i he just has a degree yeah. in botany does she yeah well i kind of glazed does, yeah. up. he does yeah i mean yeah, him. Well, i was thinking of the heroine in the story oh yeah but wow. yeah <laughs> um yeah i i sort of glazed over on some of the details on that but it was okay um the mars stuff was interesting how they you know traveled around the landscape and how careful they had to be and all this kind of stuff that was kind of interesting and in how they dug into the mm -hmm. landscape to find this thing and stuff like that that was probably the most interesting part once she got back on earth it was kind of a adventure type thing rather than anything that held my interest so i guess i can't really recommend it yeah too bad yeah yeah he's written some other good stuff i read his far future confluence trilogy the bookshare had and i enjoyed that quite a lot uh um, yeah i think i've read something else by him i liked better than this too but i don't remember what it was yeah and he also wrote uh, a book called red dust that was really um pretty far out it was on mars but it was many centuries from now and there was all mm -hmm. kinds of 
really advanced technology in it, and it was it was uh, uh, it was really good. It's on uh, Bard also, and mm -hmm. uh, James Delotel, or I mean, uh, not James Delotel, um, J.P. Linton read it, and uh, okay. I always like him. He's pretty good. James so, Delotel is just too dry. James Delotel, I don't think reads anymore. He read Ringworld and Ringworld Engineers, and oh. and uh, Greg Bear's Eon. He read a lot of Star Trek books too. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. So I liked him quite a lot, but I think he uh, retired or something happened to him years ago. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not sure why I said his name. I'm probably thinking of some other book. Um, that he, Do you guys like the Star Trek books? Maybe I should read some of those because I really liked Star Trek. But I've some of them aren't bad. You know, um, Bob Askey reads a lot of them. Hmm. Um, Gary Tipton reads a lot of the uh, Star Trek Next Generations. Books. I read a couple of them, but uh, I can't get into them because I mean it's like the. I mean I like the sound effects and the actors and the, you know and the music and all that. And with the book, it kind of seems flat, you know, without all hmm. that stuff in it. I, yeah, it's like when I listen to the BBC play of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then I tried reading the book, and I just I couldn't get yeah. very far into yeah. it because it was so it was so flat compared to all the sound effects and the music and the actors and everything. And, that makes sense. You know, yeah. so I, I don't know. Give it a try though, because at least, you know, in the, in the books, everything's described, uh -huh. you know, which it is. If, on the show. Yeah. If you want to read a good one, uh, I think one of the ones that stands out uh, and it's the original series is uh, strangers from the sky. Okay. Uh, check out that one. That was a good read, I thought. Lissy and I read one, and I can't remember what it was. What it was called, but it was about the guys found this strange artifact, and they would go through it into uh, another universe or something. And they um, there were a bunch of different aliens who were trying to get a hold of it and stuff. And anyhow, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. But I said I like the shows. They just uh, seem to. Hold on, hold on, Oh, who's with yeah. us? Martin. Yeah, I'm here. Are you here? Oh, sure, Martin. You want to oh, tell yeah. us about something? I'm a Martin's always got good something pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I I read your the White Shark that you recommended, but apart from which I thought was pretty good. Mm -hmm. I liked this, especially uh, the marine biologist and her sea lions. Oh, that was great. And then also the uh, that deaf girl that that, uh, that the son of the other biologist met. And be, and be, they yeah, and they liked she liked him, and they he right. liked her. And then it was interesting how he finally killed the mon monster at the end. By Lord. yeah, it wasn't a big shootout or anything. No, it was no, a completely you, different method of uh, right. getting uh, based on you know something. on knowledge of deep sea diving and, and mm -hmm. the bends and all that. <laughs> yep. Okay, apart from that, I read, uh, finished it, the tri trilogy. I had, I had just reviewed a book in the beginning, a uh, few, I don't remember how many episodes, I mean, how many sessions back, called The Third Wave by Rick Yancey. And then I read the two other books, one called The Infinite Sea, and the last one called The, the Last Star. And it continues the saga of Earth having been invaded by aliens and most of humanity having been wiped out. And the remainder of the humanity was taken over programs 
to hunt down those that weren't um, infested by these aliens. And the main character, it's 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 very good because it's it's read. You know, it's in one of these audio audible books where the actors play the different characters. You have at least two different uh, readers, and the main characters is one called Kathy Sullivan, and there's a character by the name of Ed, um, Evan Walker, who is what they call a silencer. He was one of the things that these aliens managed to do was when the humans are very young, they somehow invade their their brains and take oh, and, and and hide within their psyche until they become um, mature, and then they take over. And their and their purpose is to try to hunt down any of those humans that are that have escaped being infested, and they they get these young boy, young children and they take them to bases and they train them to be the soldiers and go out and hunt. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of fighting between the different groups. Uh, it's very interesting the interaction of the characters, and at the end, the heroine Karen uh, Kathy Sullivan manages to get up to space. And one of the things that dominates the whole planet is the ship, the mothership, which has been hanging in space all this time. And she finished, managed to get up there and destroy it. And that means that the, uh, the a lot of the, the remaining people on Earth that were under their control is no longer directly controlled by the mothership. And the book ends with Evan Walker going off, leaving the, the few survivors and going off to hunt down the remaining people who are who are called the silencers who are still under the, the or still are, um, how should I say it? They're still um, controlled by, by these aliens. What I'm never able to fully understand, and I don't know if I missed or not, is whether these aliens actually from the ship actually existed or was it like a robotic pro projection of, you know, of them. And, and they apparently mm. came to Earth to try to, to, you know, their planet was slowly dying out, so they came to Earth to to uh, colonize it and pretty much get rid of all the humans. So it looks like there could be room for another sequel. <laughs> so that's basically a brief summary. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're going to be early today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really prepare very well. Um, I am rescanning, uh, and it's perfectly readable. But I want a better copy on Bookshare, so I'm rescanning it. But I have uh, a book called "Creatures of Light and Darkness" by Roger Zelazny, and it's one of it's probably his most experimental work in a sense that. Um, well, it's similar in some ways to his Lord of Light, which in this case, oh, yeah. in Lord of Light, he he made he used Hindu pantheon for his advanced humans, you know, oh, and they turned themselves into gods, mm -hmm. and they were like the gods, and they took on a lot of their characteristics. Well, here he does it to the Egyptian gods, but this one's kind of even more far out and and less structured in some ways. Uh, I read some reviews on Amazon just out of curiosity. And they mentioned, you know, the different writing styles that he uses in it. Um, and uh, there's like poet, poet, it's like he's trying to find his voice because he wrote it, you know, when he was very young. Uh, he was still in college, I guess, or, or just out. And he was actually, it wasn't published till 1969, but it apparently was written 
quite a bit before that and they said it looked like he was still trying to find his voice so he's using different writing techniques some of it's just straight prose and some of it's like more poetry and some of it's like call and response and and um so but it's about the egyptian gods and you know anubis the lord of the dead sends forth his emissary he 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 starts out being a man and he's been serving him for like a thousand years but he turns him into a machine because he needs him to be a uh, an emissary to go out into what they call the middle worlds which is out into you know the main uh galaxy where the humans live uh, to get revenge against some guy called the prince who was a thousand and osiris the god of life sends his son out to do the same thing um but uh there's a lot more to it than that um actually it's not a very long novel but there's a lot in it and the reason the main reason i'm doing it is because i read this when i was like 12 years old it was like I mean, I never had acid or anything, but this book is probably one of the closest things to it. I mean, it just reads like that in a lot of places. It's really, I mean, they have this thing called, uh, I mean, when they do battle, you know, some of the, like the emissary from Anubis and this guy called the Steel General, they have this thing called Temporal Fugue where they can travel in time and, you know, they come up behind you before you even know. So you go back in time and so you get multiples of, of each person doing battle and you can get dozens and you know hundreds doing battle because they've gone back in time and there are multiples of them and real weird stuff like that it's just i mean it's not as character there's not that much character development in it i mean that's just the fact i am not as worried about that as some people are um i mean i i like character development but i don't require it you know um i did also finish uh the year's best annual collection 28th uh version from gardner dozois and uh i was a little disappointed some good stories in it but um and it may be just me but it seems like a lot of the stories you know in, in this millennium and, and maybe it started earlier you can't just have a plot people seem to have to have some kind of personal trauma or hmm. at least some drama in their lives i mean a lot of the stories you know have interesting science fictional premises and stuff but they all have got this you know the wife and the husband don't get along and there's a big part of the story about that and there's another one where you know um, nancy cress wrote one you know and i'm I, i'm not going to be able to come up with titles but um, and it's about, you know, uh, people who have been genetically manipulated to have more empathy. Um, but there's a, there's a, a subplot where the, the actress who's the main character, who's, you know, doing a documentary about them, you know, her manager's in love with her, but he, you know, he's a dwarf and he's got his, he had, he's, his wife left him because, you know, she he wanted to fix their her pregnancy and oh it's just i mean and there's another one you know uh, it was just it just seemed like a lot of the stories had a lot of this stuff in them too much information <laughs> I, I think sometimes yeah a lot of them have you know people who just you know who've got marital problems and or they've got you know psychological 
issues that they should be in counseling for or something. I don't know. And it just seems like they feel like they have to put these things in to make the story, I don't know, better or more appealing to literate people or something. I don't know. Um, but there were some good stories in it. Um, anyhow, um, that's all I got this time. Sorry, guys. Hey, you can only do what you can only do. You know? No big deal. <laughs> I am scanning a lot of stuff for Bookshare. Um, I'm scanning Jack Vance's Tales of the Dying Earth. You heard of that, uh, Jim? No. Oh, no, Jack Vance. Well, it reads like, actually, the, the Zelazny is this way, too. It's science fiction, but it reads like, it almost reads like fantasy, and some of the language is more like the language of fantasy but it's really mm -hmm. science fiction but it's far in the future so it can look like fantasy right way but you know you can tell though that it's really science fiction huh. it's not fantasy interesting i mean zelazny i liked him but he kind of lost me on the amber series i just could not get into that you know i read them all i read all of them but I, and i liked the first five but i didn't like the the second five yeah he should have just quit at the end of the first five mm. but i liked the first five quite a lot i mean they were i mean they were uh, really cool i mean mm. the thing about that is that uh and the thing about a lot of great science fiction is that the, the you know traveling through shadow you know you can imagine where you might want to go you know or yeah. you might want to travel to and it would be somewhere out there i mean it, it kind of lets you use your own imagination mm -hmm. you know in that universe you know so it, it was kind of cool like that um it was uh, i liked them i don't think they were as good as some of his other work like you know Lord yeah. of light and oh, stuff. yeah and, but i i liked them pretty well actually the guns of avalon was we had a braille copy of that in our uh, school library Actually, I read that one before I read the first book. Uh, Guns of Avalon was the second book. Um, by the way, you know the guy who narrated those was named uh, Michael Moody. Was that the I same Michael Moody him. who was the... I mean, that's not a real common name. Was it, Didn't he become a... Like, wasn't he... Didn't he become an executive or something? Or was it a different Michael Moody? I don't know. Um. Hmm. Interesting. But I remember Anyhow, the name, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm scanning that, and I've got some uh, more John C. Wright. I just finished scanning that I'm going to start reading. Um, it's pretty fantastical. He, he writes really far out stuff. I've done six of his books for Bookshare already. Uh -huh. um, the uh, Count to Infinity series, Count to the Eschaton series, uh, six books in that. Um, I really like him a lot. Um, mm. So I've got a lot of stuff to read, but I didn't, I didn't read too much this month, but I've got a lot of stuff to read. Then I'll have somebody proofread it, um, yeah. and it'll get on Bookshare. So yeah. anyhow, well, Are any you, last words? Anybody noticing any uh, thing with their download speeds from uh, Bard? Well, I don't have super fast speed here, but it seems to be a little faster, and the pages definitely load faster. I, had, I attended a, a Zoom meeting with the director of the library of the NLS is retiring. Yeah, Karen. Karen, Karen, Karen yeah. Say, one of the things that's going to come up, which should be very helpful, 
is they're going to list the, the new books according to categories. Oh. So let's say we want to find sci-fi. Hopefully that'll be one of the categories. Yeah, that'll be great. That was so that'll be a good feature. You mean like hope- when you go to recent books on Bard? Exactly. It'll, oh. it'll, you can choose. You choose a category. I guess I don't know exactly how it's going to. Uh, I hope they don't. I hope they don't group science fiction in with fantasy. Oh, I think they will. You know I bet why? They will too. I think they will because, I mean, they're putting out these. Well, it's not NLS's fault, but, but there's a lot of people who. I mean, they just put out not too long ago the best science fiction and fantasy of the year again. Mm-hmm. Another oh. one of those volumes. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they probably will. I wish yeah. they wouldn't categorize no. them because I like to. No. Then I'm going to have to go to this category and that category. Yeah. I, I kind of like. I know what you mean. I want. I like going through the new books as Me too. they are because I yeah. find stuff that I might not right. otherwise find if I have to look in every darn category. The only I'm ones I would separate out were the foreign language. Oh, there were a lot of yeah. those. They put a yeah. huge dump yeah. of those in. That would be nice, Martin, if that were the case. You know, you could choose not to. And I can't believe that there are so many people, in fact, people who are science fiction fans and people who are fantasy fans, who can't tell the difference between science fiction and fantasy. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, I that, just don't know that why. Is my, that is my pet peeve. I, it is, I yeah. know. I know. I sometimes think they overlap. I, I can't think but, of any Yeah, examples. they overlap. And by the way, in um, perusing the different genres on Goodreads, and boy, do they have a lot of genres. In fact, I think it's really more just the way they categorize things rather than actual genres but they have one called fantasy science fantasy yep and i've heard that before i didn't really quite know what it is but i read the description and it turns out the science fantasy is science fiction and fantasy mixed into one story and all i knew about that was until i read that description was that when that does come (laughs) along when I read a story like that, it always irritates me. I want to keep my yeah. science fiction and fantasy separate. Now, separate, right. Yeah. Would one consider altered history as science fiction? Conventionally, I, I were, yeah. Conventionally, people do. I don't read yeah. it. Um, I, I, I like it sometimes. I just read a very good book called Millennium that, took, that talked about England having made peace with Germany and Germany and Germany being the dominant power and sort of like spies, people resistance fighting against this control. It's a very good book. I don't know if you would want me to the thing is it's usually classified as science fiction, but there have been some people who have suggested that it should be included in just a genre of its own. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would go along with that, except for the fact that really there isn't enough of it to fill out a well filled out genre it almost has to be a subgenre of something because it's in fact um, practically i uh, practically harry turtle dove um he's written most of it himself. yeah yeah he's written yeah. most of it i think so well they could put it under historical fiction i suppose i <laughs> i don't know if as i would yeah if I I a historical fiction fan that no. would, Disturb me. I am a well, That was the best thing I could think of. I yeah. can't think of anywhere else to put it. But it's it's under science fiction now. It's a subgenre of science fiction, and I would support it being separated into a separate genre, except there just really isn't enough of it to 
justify a whole separate genre. Right. Yeah, well, I, I some people refer uh, to some of the really far future science fiction stuff as science fantasy. It's not fantasy, no. but, I, but it looks sometimes like fantasy, like this Jack I'm, Vance stuff that I'm scanning. You wouldn't looks call like fantasy, but I wouldn't. You call wouldn't call that. Dune, no. you know, science fantasy. No, but Gene Wolfe's book of the New Sun. It would might be called science fantasy. It, mm. It's not fantasy, but it but it right. but it's so far in the future that it it can seem like it. I mean, there is a you know, and and some of Zelazny's stuff mm-hmm. uh, was might be in that category. Um, but it's a pretty loose category, and I don't use it myself. Mm-hmm. I've just seen people use it. Well, Martin, uh, did she have anything else to say that was changing? Um, trying to think of what else. That was the thing that most uh, called my attention. The fact that uh, talking about the the new the braille, you know, the braille device, the things that are going to be able to read braille. Yeah, and there are two of them. One is still hasn't been you know put in it yet. But with regard, with regard to the Bard, I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, that was the oh, they are uh, they moved all their stuff over to the cloud, so you mm-hmm. should right, get okay. faster. Right. I'm not sure we would know any difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Believe me, you do. Um, In what way? Faster download speeds. Um, Yeah, I haven't haven't noticed any change in my download speeds. Okay. But Um, they were already really fast. Mine were pretty fast, too, but I have noticed that uh, when I click on the download link, it comes up faster than it used to. Yeah, that's why. I click on the recent books and stuff. They load much faster than they Mm -hmm. used to. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mostly that move to the cloud was done for the future. Because if I understand correctly, the next um, talking book player, the next version of talking book player is going to have streaming capability. And yes. It kind of had to be in the cloud for that. Mm. So right now, about the only difference you're going to notice is faster downloads. But in mm-hmm. the future, they'll be able to do a lot of really neat stuff with it that way. Well, I should probably say that this... Uh, the next science fiction club meeting will be on the same date yep. except in March, March 11th. Right. Yeah. And I'm uh, 2021. 